I'm, there's a saying, you know, if you criticize him, you know, you, something happens. Like, could you imagine like Sky Sports or Roy Keane, uh, t- you know, toning it down because he's scared? Do, do you see Roy Keane being scared? Or I think, first of all, I don't think Roy Keane will be scared of them because I can't believe that man's scared of anything. Um... <laughs> Hi guys, and welcome to the Whipping It In podcast, the podcast you didn't ask for. And today we're going to be talking about the new Newcastle owners, Mohammed bin Salman and the Saudi group. Um, today we have a, a new guest, actually. Um, do you want to introduce yourself, mate? Uh, yeah, sure thing. My name's Joe. I'm a Wiccan Wanderer supporter living in Birmingham at the moment. Um, I've known Naz for oh, about four or five years now. And we've six, six now. Six, six. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, played with Lewis as well, so I know uh, I know their varying levels of ability as footballers. But dare I say it, I'm just as bad. So yeah, I'm looking forward to taking part. Yeah, welcome to the podcast. Welcome. Cool. So we'll start off by talking about Newcastle and saying, is this the upgrade that they've needed? Because um, the way I kind of seen, uh, viewed Newcastle is like the Snorlax of football. Um, so they've always been that sort of sleeping giant, that sort of big team in the background. They've never been in, in focus. They've always been a really good team, a bogey team in some ways. But for me, it's, it's, they've, they've always needed that step up. Um, and I think maybe this um, acquisition from the uh, Saudis could be a promising prospect. Um, they've got a massive stadium, 52,000. They've been runners-up in the Premier League in the 96-97. They've won six FA Cups. Um, so I feel like they've always been um, like a potentially a bit, you know, that team that can go to their next level. Um, but how do you guys feel? I very much agree with Newcastle are the sleeping giant. They are too big a club to be looking at only staying in the Premier League and spending small amounts of money. Although Nas mentioned six-time FA Cup winner, the last time they won the FA Cup was the 1955 season. So they they haven't won trophies in a long, long time. For a club of that size, that's not really acceptable. They it almost seem like they haven't been trying. They haven't got beyond round four of the FA Cup since 2005. They haven't got beyond round five of the League Cup since 76. Um, they are a big club, but they're big because of their supporter base and they're big because of their history. But in terms of trophy winning at the minute, then they're not up there. And this, like Naz was saying, could be the upgrade they need to start to challenge for things. I, I like that argument, but then you also think about like relegation and like yo-yo, like Newcastle Championship and Premier League. So is survival of the Premier League also a trophy for them? Because more emphasis on the Premier League rather than like the Cups, like especially the Carling Cup. You look at Man City, they keep on winning it. Is it just money? Is it just an opportunity for smaller clubs to get revenue? And a lot of clubs are looking at to displace the Carling Cup now. So just arguing whether Newcastle being put more emphasis on the Premier League rather than like Cup. With with more money, Newcastle should be, they should be at a level of at least an Everton or something like that. They shouldn't yeah. be a club scrapping for survival. They certainly shouldn't be a club in the championship. Um, like Naz says, they are a giant. They are yeah. a sleeping giant. So, so yes, Premier League survival is of course most important, but they should be aiming beyond that as a club. The point about Mike Ashley. Uh, so he came in around about 2007, came in through... Um, 
Firstly, it bought around uh, like 40% of the shares and slowly started uh, gaining a majority shareholder or a majority stake. And ever since he came in, he's actually tried to sell the club uh, three times already. And each time he's been unsuccessful. So this isn't the first time um, that he's tried to get rid of uh, Newcastle Football Club. And if you speak to any of the Newcastle fans, you can hear the same thing that they're just not getting the investment or the right managerial decision that's being brought in or sometimes managers who are doing well are getting sacked too early sometimes. Um, so there's always been like you no know, a level of criticism aimed at Mike Ashley and he hasn't painted himself in a, a helpful light either, you know. So um, ever since he came in, there was that first controversy of him uh, drinking beer out on the alcohol pitch when he wasn't allowed to or something like that. Ever since that, ever since then, it's just been like a down, uh, down spiral. Um, in an interview in 2016, Mike actually even said that he regrets buying Newcastle United. So, like, imagine the owner saying, yeah, probably shouldn't have bought you. A lot of his policies just haven't gone down well. Uh, even amidst all, like, um, the Premier League being on suspension and questions over next season, he still charged fans for next season season tickets. Um, which was never going to be a popular move when next season might not even happen. So Newcastle are, are very happy to be rid of him, but then it's like who they're bringing in to replace him, you know what I mean? Um, I just want to go on to some of the deals that Newcastle have done and going back to the point that they were, they're like a sleeping giant. Um, so some of the things in terms of football deals, um, they have bought uh, Shearer on a world uh, record free transfer at 15 million when nobody expected them to spend so much. And they've always been that team that can do it, but they haven't done it consecutively. Is there any sort of deals that they've done you guys um, want to highlight? Uh, this season, they actually made their record signing, uh, Joel Linton from Hoffenheim, for around £40 million. Um, His return has not been very good. One goal in 25 appearances. Michael Owen, remember when he came back from Real Madrid? Wasn't the best of, like, you know, stints ever. Um, it might have been more of a more of a crowd draw, you know, just to say like, oh, hey, we have Michael Owen, as opposed to getting Michael Owen for his footballing abilities. Because Michael Owen that came back from Real Madrid was not the same one that went there. Um, he was like riddled with injuries, probably wasn't a good buy. Other notable signings, you've got things like Gigi Wijnaldum, who was obviously now bossing up at Liverpool. You've got um, Shira, Miguel Almiron as well. So there's a few guys who, you know, there are very notable names there. With Wijnaldum, the um, the return they got really was money because they, they only had him a season, but they sold him to Liverpool for ten million more than they bought him from PSV. Trevich actually surprised me. I, I never thought they gave him enough of a chance. That transfer was a strange one, but they did manage to gain ten million on him. Um, and of course, they sold Andy Carroll for thirty-five to Liverpool, which uh, <laughs> I'm sure I don't. I'm sure you Liverpool fans don't need reminding. Um, and in ter- and in terms of Shearer, it was a world record at the time, or, or an English record at the time. You know, this is over over twenty years ago, and I think with Shearer, the fact it's his hometown club, maybe. Um, attracted him there as much as the fact the club's big. But then that comes to the question: like, is it is it going to be is it going to be difficult for Newcastle to attract players to Newcastle? Because I think most players don't want to go to Manchester, London. So um, even with the extra money, was it is it going to be difficult for Newcastle to bring in the players to attract the players? Do you guys remember like Man City when they first sort of started buying like seven strikers? You know, like Leo and then Benjani and then all added by your in one seat. It, they, when you think about it, it was purely money based. It's going to be, it's only, well, the term's mercenary, isn't it? But how many players are actually going to Newcastle? I think it will depend on, it will depend on money. 
And also, I think it will depend on who they're playing for. Because with, with respect to Steve Bruce, I don't know how many world-class or perhaps that bracket below world-class players will want to come and play for him. No, got, I think there's been rumours of uh, Pochettino being Newcastle manager. So if he comes in, I'm sure he's going to bring a lot of good players in. But that's if Pochettino becomes manager. If I yeah, were I Newcastle's owners, I would I'd throw all the money at Pochettino to try and get him as manager. If you want to draw comparisons to when Man City's Arab donors um, first came in, uh, if you look at their first sort of like transfer season, um, Rubinho is really the only big name they had in their first season um, under the Arab owners. And even when Rubinho came in, he w- he w- it was more of a mercenary sign-in rather than, yes, we've got this world-class star. Obviously, he was a talent, but it wasn't someone that was going to like, you know, set the team alight just by himself. If you look at the rest of the signings, you've got Nigel Dion, Craig Bellamy, Wayne Bridge, uh, Paolo Zabaleta, and Vincent Company. Obviously not the company today, but take Rubinho out and imagine if somebody said you're going to play in a team with Dion, Bellamy, Bridge. You're not exactly going to be like, you know, over the moon about it. Because like, one, those guys haven't reached their peak yet, or if they ever did. And two, they're not the world-class side that you see Man City in now. So it took a while for Man City to start drawing in the likes of you know, David Silva, who they got in 2010, or Sergio Aguero, who they got um, the year after that. So it's going to be a few years of just getting these, I don't want to call them, but like sort of mercenary type players. People like Rubinho, Tevez, Adebayo, level just underneath world-class players, mm-hmm. but who want like a big paycheck. So they're going to have to accumulate a lot of those just so then they can have a good team to then attract the higher caliber of players. Because without sort of like Rubinho being there, if you went to Carlos Tevez or uh, Emmanuel Adebayo and said, hey, we've got Nigel Dion, do you want to come play for us? You know, who's going to say yes? But then if you say, look, we've got David Silva, we've got Sergio Aguero, now do you want to come play for us? Everybody would be chomping at the bit. The big thing is getting the club into Europe as well, I think. Yeah, once, exactly. once they can deliver at least Europa League, preferably Champions League, they become a more attractive option for players. I think players that are sort of development players, because when I think of what... Guardiola's done at Man City. Um, it's not, yeah, I'll, yes, he's bought these 50 million player um, pound players, but it's players that can still be developed. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, I don't think it's just so much all mercenary. I think if it's a good, good coach, and let's say, for example, Pochettino comes in somehow um, and he's looking at uh, towards buying players, let's say from his ex club, uh, Deli Ali. Um, instead of Hurricane, Dele is still a quality player. He still can. He's, he's got that potential. He's dipped a bit. I'm not going to lie, but um, these type of players, where you can buy for 50 million and you can train them up, um, develop them, they'll become much, uh, you know, nice prospect. Like you look at, for example, Sterling when he went to City, um, he wasn't the finished article that he is today. Like the fact that he can come on the wing, bought for 50 million, Guardiola's arguably developed him to this sort of level where. He's seen as this world-class player. And I think there's so many players that are um, there in the market that are still, you know, in the middle, but they've got that potential to go up. Um, do you guys uh, see that as well in terms of um, not just looking at mercenaries, but looking at as well as players that are looking towards development and their career progressions? In terms of player recruitment, is buying players so you can buy more players, if that makes sense. If you just come back to City now, say if you buy um, someone like, take Rubinho for instance. So 
because he's Brazilian or something like that, they can now, they now have that sentence during negotiations to say, look, we've got other Brazilians on the team. So then any further Brazilians who want to resign. But in 2008, Brazil was still a very good national team. Um, they could say, look, you know, we can settle you in with Rubinho. You, you'll have a friend that you're not going to be alone. So that's going to be a draw for some players as well. And they've, they've got quite a diversity in their team at the minute, albeit not big names. But um, the average age of their side at the moment is a concern. So, like Naz was saying, they do need to be investing in some up-and-coming players as well. Because I was looking at their last start in 11 before, um, when they last played, what, over a month ago now. Of one player was under 25 in it. Two over 30, but they're all in that sort of bracket of late 20s, most of their squad. It's, I mean, it's, it's a good time to be able to do a, uh, an overhaul of players, but like I said, they do need some more younger players to be coming through. And whether the young players they have at the minute will be good enough for this ambition that the owners may have, I don't know. I mean, that stems to the point of whether Steve Bruce, his, his job was to select survival. So he, need, he needed more experienced players like John Joe Shelby, people who've been in, like, fighting for relegation already, like uh, Matt Ritchie, all these players. So it's kind of like uh, if the new owners do come into place, it's, it's kind of new perspective change. So they go from relegation up to mid-table, and then there from then they kick on. I think it's not a one or year, one or two year plan. It's maybe like a Man City, like 10, 15 year plan where you see, also you got into the fact of like financial fair plays. For example, like Newcastle can't keep buying these players for like 10, 15 million, like all over like the income coming and generate generating coming in mm. so it's really just about sustained income seeing where they just progressively improve and keep improving the team so again from like relegation to top 10 yeah that's how i see it but also with uh, points about Pochettino, you look at southampton days so he brought in like virgil van dyke mane so maybe you could do something similar for newcastle what they really want to target is the sort of like sweet spot where players are just a year or two away from their actual prime so in that sort of like maybe 21 to 24, 25 range. If you look at Man City's top signings, when they bought them, most of them are between 20 and 25. Like Kevin De Bruyne, 24. Uh, Rodri, their defensive midfielder, 23. Cancelo, 25. Laporte, 23. Sterling, 20. But Sterling had a couple of years in the Premier League already. And um, he had a full season after Suarez um, to be the main man for Liverpool. So that probably prompted them to purchase early. So they want to just aim for that little sweet spot of... Kind of that uh, area around 20 to 25, um, and then with a the coach like Pochettino to sort of like nurture them, help them find their groove, and yeah, just let them do their thing. I think we'll jump on to the uh, controversial topic, um, talking about the background of the uh, new Saudi owner. Um, so his name is uh, Mohammed bin Salman, and there's um, he wanted to purchase uh, Manchester United, but the Glazers refused. They didn't want to sell the club. Um, so he looked at Newcastle, as you do, um, the second best option. Um, and from looking at that, um, there's been a few sort of reports and investigations um, in regards to him as a person. Something that comes into mind is his ruthlessness. Um, so with his family members, I think um, his uncle was in line for the throne and he's basically taken his um, power and his uh, wealth away. And he's done that to a lot of his um, uncles and sort of business people in Saudi, um, which shows that when when needed, he can get the job done when ne- when he needs to pay that power game, um, if you'd like. He's able to do that. Um, as well, they make 90% of their money from the oil industry, which now they want to move away from. 
and I've been looking at their 2030 plans where they want to look towards increasing tourism by sort of moving away from the oil sector and going into sort of building facilities, um, cinemas, parks in the area. And most recently is the development of like sporting events. So Anthony Joshua versus Ruiz was fought in Saudi Arabia and that's a way to increase tourism. I think you describe him as sort of liberal Muslim. He's not sort of that strict, rigid, as you know, as perceived people have seen. He's more sort of open to the audience. Um, so I, I guess I'll kick off with you, Lewis. Um, so how do you see the background of this Saudi owner? Is there anything controversial about him? Do you think that, um, there's a saying, you know, if you criticize him, you know, you, something happens. Like, could you imagine like Sky Sports or Roy Keane, uh, t- you know, toning it down because he's scared. Do you, do you see Roy Keane being scared or controversies? Controversies. There's a lot like surrounding Saudi owners and the, the the public investment fund of Saudi Arabia. I think it is. There's that people that are investment group that are investing into Newcastle. Uh, so they're owning about eighty percent, and then the Ruben, uh, Ruben brothers. So like they got the twenty extra twenty percent. Uh, so I think a lot of like charities such as the Amnesty Fund, the ethics of how the um, Saudi Arabia fund treats its uh, workers. For example, a lot, a lot of workers, especially for um, the dying, and then the Amnesty Fund have, have raised this up and said, this isn't right, and then they brought it up to the Premier League. That was in, like last week, but I think more recently, I think the Premier League are going to allow the deal to happen. Amnesty Fund and Amnesty International are going to appeal to the Premier Leagues, or are they going to let it slide? So in terms of that, in terms of like, they got a lot of controversies in terms of workers and slavery. I think that was one of the big um reasons why the deal might not happen? I think, first of all, I don't think Roy Keane will be scared of them because I can't believe that man's scared of anything. Um, yeah. As and when this does come around. Um, the, I mean, the term that kept coming up when I was Googling this was uh, sports washing. And that's basically where they try to own, they try to do hosting sporting events or owning sports clubs to try and improve a reputation of a group or a place uh, despite a terrible human rights record. Um, and this is like, say, the World Cup happening in Qatar or Russia or the Grand Prix in Bahrain all the time. And that's, that's basically what Amnesty International were saying here. They're saying that this is, this is all this is. Uh, now these guys own Newcastle. They're trying to, a way to try and improve Saudi Arabia's reputation. And the Premier League should maybe care a bit more, as it were, about the dreadful human rights record. The, the trouble is with it being football. They're not going to care because you get many clubs that are owned by people that are from uh, these sorts of states that do have very poor human rights records. You have, as I've already mentioned, the World Cups being hosted in places with these terrible records. So I don't think Amnesty International making a statement to the Premier League is going to mean anything. Um, Whether Newcastle fans want their club owned by people that have the record that these guys do, I don't know. But... Ultimately, when it comes to football, I think people tend to forget if they're winning games. So I don't think this will be talked about once they take over the club and give it six months or so. I don't think it'll even be discussed. So we've done on 3,000 um, people from the Newcastle Supporters Trust. 
asked whether they'd be in favour of the proposed takeover, 96.7% of them were actually in favour. So um, I'm but not is, sure. Whether... Is it the takeover they're in favour of, or is it the, or is it anything to do with um, with this group's history, as it were? I think it's the takeover they're um, uh, in for. Um, so I was going to say I'm not sure whether this survey was done before or after um, all the news has come out about their human rights uh, issues and things like that. I want to talk about other uh, sort of so potential barriers to takeovers. So Sheffield United is uh, owned by Prince Abdullah, uh, I believe, and he had relations with um, Mohammed bin Salman. So one of the key criteria to um, being an eligible owner of a Premier League club is that you don't have influence over other clubs. Now, knowing what we know about bin Salman, if he's like that... Um, Kind of like that bully figure, like you know, that kind of like gets what he wants, um, type of guy. If he's like that and say, you know, um, Sheffield United have a player that Newcastle wants, then could he just, you know, flex his influence and um, make Sheffield United essentially just his second club or, you know, and do whatever he wants just because he controls the owner? So there's like, you know, a lot of question marks surrounding that. and. The Premier League is strictly forbids like you know, having any influence over other over other clubs other than the one you own. Then obviously this would be in direct breach of that. Um, he's also got a good relationships with uh, the Man City owner as well. Um, so there's a lot of like you know barriers, uh, potential barriers there um, from a footballing perspective that might stop this uh, takeover from happening. And um, in addition to the other human rights issues and everything that you mentioned. So there's a lot of things. There's a place next to Versailles that he bought, um, like the world's most expensive house. Um, and then there was a famous painting he purchased, uh, 500 million. Um, so he's, it's not like, you know, he has trouble spending. Um, in terms of sort of, I want to just go back in terms of like other foreign owners and I just want to look at sort of how Roman Abramovich kind of changed the way uh, money was spent in the Premier League, like, or even the Man City owners. They always said they're going to get bored um, and they're going to leave. Because the way I see it is he's quite an impatient person. He kind of gets things done whenever, chops and changes things. Do you see there's a long-term vision for Newcastle um, as a city, um, as a place in terms of development um, as a whole? Um, Sort of stuff with you, Joe. I mean, you would like to think there will be additional investment going into the city itself to help rejuvenate it. That happened in Manchester quite a lot. Uh, there was a huge, uh, there was a huge project at Manchester Airport that was sort of tied in with uh, when Sheikh Mansour came to Man City. Um, whether this will happen or not, only time will tell. Uh, I think that's going to be that will be finalised when the takeover of the club is finalised. And then they'll start to look into how they reach out to the community and stuff like that. So um, just to mention some of the community work that Newcastle does do, and it might be an entry point for the new owners um, to hit the ground running if they can continue this good work. So in 2008, there was the Newcastle United Foundation set up that was designed to promote learning and healthy living among disadvantaged people. So uh, youth, elderly, those who you know, are not that well off, um, and further to that, in 2012, Newcastle became the first carbon positive club. So the amount of carbon they offset was more than the amount of carbon they emit or something like that. Um, it's, a, it's a good thing for the environment, you know, to be 
uh, green, so to speak. So um, there are a couple of projects in place already in Newcastle uh, for the owners to pick up and hopefully expand on. And just in terms of geographic location, so like Newcastle is in the northeast of like UK. There's not many clubs around that area, the Premier League clubs. So I think you've got like nearest club is Manchester United, which is two and a half hours away. And then other clubs around it, so like Middlesbrough, Sunderland, Carlisle. So there's not, there's, I understand why like um, the Saudi fund have chosen Newcastle, because if you look at other areas such as like London or Manchester, they're oversaturated with like rich owners already. Like you've got Man City, United and London with Arsenal, Chelsea, uh, Tottenham. So it's a really new, interesting opportunity for like Saudi Arabia to go into the Premier League market. And so it's even more enticing for the Saudi Arabia fund to, to look into Newcastle and look into potentially invest in that in the area. Um, but, you know, in Newcastle, it is a, it is a one team. It is a one team city. So, yeah, if the team is if the team is flying, of course, people are going to are going to feel better about it. But you, it being a one team city in the entire area. Um, as Lewis was saying, although I think uh, uh, closer than Manchester would be the Yorkshire clubs, um, it being the only real club for quite a distance. You know, you have Sunderland stuck down in League One, sort of with Wickham Wanderers and teams like that. Um, we can't see anything in the background. <laughs> no, not at all. Newcastle are the big club in the area. That's why they have such a large supporter base. Um, and that is what the owners will be looking to tap into. And you guys give your opinion, but I'll chuck in mine. Um, and for football clubs, I think the most important thing when um, I think about it is um, having a director of football is the most important aspect. Like it, ha- it shows the um, vision of the club. Um, so, for, ex- for example, when Chelsea um, looked into Bob, uh, going into the youth side of things, when we bought. Um, you know, the likes of De Bruyne, Lukaku, Salah, Hazard, uh, Oscar, um, even Juan Mata to an extent, like those sort of players, um, these young and up and coming uh, talents. There was Emanalo, so our director of football, who looked into finding these type of players. Look, that's what I feel is important. Um, you look at, for example, Borussia Dortmund as well. There's a style of football there. It's not like they're going to play this defensive uh, rubbish, you know, when there's, I feel like a director of football, there's a way of playing. Even you look at Atletico Madrid, there's a style, okay, the manager's seen as a positive uh, impact on it, but there is a director of football there. So I feel like that's um, a possible avenue for Newcastle to start with. I think director of football is important. There's one that comes into mind is Luis Campos. So he was the director of football at Monaco when they first found the players like Bernardo Silva, Mbappe, Bakayoko. That team was really exciting. And now he's gone to, I believe, Lyon, where, um, yeah, they've brought back Memphis Depay, but they've had some really good quality players as well. So that's where I feel like they could start. Um, where do you guys think? Do you think, um, do you disagree with me? Do you think a manager should be a start? Where do you think? I think there's no point having a director of football if the manager is going to clash with him. They would need to make the appointments. If they're going to go down that route, they would need the appointments at the same time or with two people that would complement each other in that way. I know Pochettino didn't like at Spurs that he didn't feel he was making all the decisions. And if he was to come into Newcastle, he would either not want a director of football or want a director of football that 
has his same vision. So I think getting a director of football could be brilliant, but it could also be dangerous for that reason. Um, I would be looking on the pitch. They need goals. That's the big thing Newcastle need. They have um, have scored 25 goals this season in 29 games. Yeah, that, that is shockingly yeah. low. They have, they have a striker that they signed for 40 million that Steve Bruce said isn't the sort of striker that scores goals, which is... Yeah, useless. Oh, is he Firmino? <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> if he had Firmino's ability, then fine. But even even then, Joe Linton is shocking. You've got Andy Carroll, who is a sick note, basically. Got Dwight Gale, who's a fantastic championship striker, but has never made anything work in the Premier League. And they've got someone called Muto. I didn't know existed till I was researching for this podcast, but has scored yeah. one goal this season. You know, Joel Linton, Carroll, Muto and Gale, between them, four goals. Uh, Almiron scored six. So at least one of their findings worked. <laughs> yeah. yeah, one did. Because <laughs> yeah. the, the defence, OK, it's not perfect, but it's not a bad defence at the moment. You throw in someone that can score goals, that's already going to add a little bit to the team. Um, and that, that, will, that will make a big difference. So on the pitch, that's where they need to start for me. Uh, I'm yeah. probably jumping ahead of the game, but like, what 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 play would you suggest? Like, can realistically Newcastle acquire? Well, I had, I had a look through the room, and some amazing names are in there. Honestly, people again, they're going <laughs> to sign, they're going to sign Griezmann and Mbappe. You know, obviously, obviously they won't. Not at this point. Um, they they're quite heavily linked with Morales from Rangers. Now, whether that would be a good move yeah. or not, I don't know. Uh, as Rafa Rafa Silva, the um the Portuguese attacking mid, who, it, I mean, his returns, 20, 24 goals in 72 games. That's that's a very solid rate, especially for attacking midfielder. Um, possibility, I know I've just named midfielders after saying they need a striker, but yeah. should, should Villa go down, uh, whether Newcastle would go in the market for Jack Grealish? I think everyone's linked with Grealish. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone's <laughs> No, only one could sign him. That's even if Aston Villa stay up. But because Pochettino is the uh, the main man linked with um, a managerial change, if uh, takeover takeover goes through and things like that, in that scenario, you'd probably say go raid Tottenham. How successful that would be, I don't know, because Mourinho um, really likes Dele Alli and the way he sets his team up is for Dele Alli to be the main uh, the main star, as opposed to Harry Kane. Um, even though Harry Kane still gets his goals, he scored a couple under Mourinho's regime. Eli Ali has mainly been the star man. Obviously, you've got like home mints on and things like that. But for Newcastle, what I'd probably say is get players so then you can get more players. Because at the moment, imagine if they went for Mbappe and they said, OK, do you want to play with Joel Linton up top? You know, Mbappe's not going to be leaving Paris anytime soon to play with Joel Linton. If they can, you know, perhaps raid, uh, say if they can get Jack Grealish, say if they can get another striker from the Prem, maybe someone like, you know, even if they didn't manage to get Deli Ali or, you know, top striker, so then it's a more enticing prospect to play with than Joel Linton. So then, you know, they just slowly move their way up in terms of player ranking. So it's not as if, like, you buy Mbappe and he has to do all the work for 10 people. And then you go, like, I don't know. Matty Long stuff <laughs> playing through balls to him. I I think they're at least three or four seasons away from being able to get 
the Griezmann or an Mbappe. They would need to be a Champions yeah. League club before that could happen. So as a Liverpool fan, I go back to like, like I said, director of football. So when I think of director of football, I think of Damien Camoni for Liverpool and then that's the worst case scenario. So for example, like Liverpool, they bring in like Andy Carroll for 35 million, Jordan Henderson 16 million, Charlie Adam 8 million, Stuart Downing. He all authorised these transfers, but they weren't the transfers that um, Kenny Douglas was looking at. So that comes into the question of you need unison between your director of football and your foot and your manager. Like Joe was saying about Pochettino, he doesn't have the same type of thought process as the director of football, and that's why ultimately he might have left. That might be one of the reasons why he left or he was forced out. That's one thing that Newcastle must get right at the beginning because it could put them down like a few seasons. For example, like Liverpool, there's, there's a few rough seasons for us Liverpool fans. We were like one or two seasons where we ran on Charlie Adam. And then Jay Spearing. Um, Newcastle need to get it right if they're going to operate the director of football. So I get on to the second point. So like in terms of like transfers, I would, everyone said it's, it's a rebuilding process. It's not a, a one or two season uh, rebuild. It's a five, ten season rebuild where you're looking to gradually improve your players. Cavani, or like maybe Cavani may want to go into the Newcastle Premier League. So we'll go to Newcastle because I think his contract's ending as well. Anything can happen, man, with Newcastle's money, wage bills. The two most like toughest business people um i've i think are one the napoli um napoli director of football and daniel levy they're really tough to buy players off them very difficult to do and even if you do it's like you're paying beyond the odds um because right you mentioned um to raid tottenham i think it's going to be difficult i don't think it's as easy if pochettino was to come just to raid them and then joe the point that you made that um yeah they could get a top player and i guess uh, established players are tottenham when you're looking at it, and the club's in a bit of disarray with Mourinho, and some of them are unhappy with his sort of style do you think that like that strategy could work looking into like buying these type of players from ready-made players or is it should it be um should they look at lewis's idea of taking the long term because but when you're looking at the league table they're 35 points um so i think eight points above the relegation spot it's looking newcastle is safe for this season um definitely i think you need i think you need to look at you need to look at both you know, they, they won't be able to go out and immediately sign a world-class player. You know, I, I don't, they wouldn't stand a chance of getting Harry Kane without Pochettino. Even with him, I think it's a very, very, very slim chance. But they, but they do need to be looking at signing a better quality of player. Because they're doing that now doesn't mean they're not looking at long term. I mean, we go to uh, Roman Abramovich. When he first came in at Chelsea, albeit they were in a better position than Newcastle currently are, his first summer, he went and signed Crespo, Makaleli, Damian Duff. They had different levels of success, but they were relatively big signing of different types, be it a big international signing or a signing who had done well in the Premier League. I don't know if Newcastle could attract players that that big, but they need they would need to go out and get someone better. Because I've, I've been waiting, I've been waiting to bring these up. Uh, also, the nightmare scenario of the foreign owner uh, is the Venkis group for example, who came in to Blackburn Rovers. Mm. And they had, they had this thing as well. They had, they were, I went back and looked at it. There were rumour pages of them being ready to sign Ronaldinho or sign David Beckham. Instead, they went out, they bought 10 players for a combined roughly 20 million. One signing worked pretty well. The rest didn't. They got rid of Big Sam, bought in Steve Keane, and Blackburn Rovers went into complete disarray. So that's what can happen when the foreign owners come in. They can absolutely mess things up if they don't get 
things right. So I don't, I don't think you can just look to the future. I think they have to make some signings for now as well. I just want to come up to the final point is signings uh, that Newcastle can make and future. No one thought at the time Neymar was going to happen. Everyone was still in disarray that 200 million for a player. Player agents that will chuck in, um, such as Riola, Pogba, for example. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but Pogba's unhappy. Um, something with a good offer and Riola happy, he could go to Newcastle. One realistic signing is going to be Danny Rose. I think he's yeah, on loan at the moment at Tottenham. So... He's going to make that permanently. So I'm thinking more realistically, like Danny Rose, he's going to permanently move to Newcastle. And he said he likes moving to Newcastle. And this could be a springboard to bring in to Aber. Because of the fish and chips, isn't it? Yeah, fish and chips. He said a lot of fish and chips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like there's a lot of Gregs in Newcastle, man. A lot of Gregs. Yeah. Always with a queue out the door. <laughs> All of them. I went to Newcastle. There's like several of them. High Street is crazy, man. Like three or four, always have a queue. Yeah. So in terms of like Danny, Rose, I think in the short term you're gonna get like similar ability levels to like Danny Rose. So how the upgrade is gonna be through Danny Rose type players from who are looking for a new project, I would say. So like, mm-hmm. so maybe we see similar levels like players Liverpool. So maybe Lalana might think of moving to Newcastle. They're looking to move, or we could get rid of Lord Carrius as well. Maybe Carrius might want to go to Newcastle. If Newcastle give us like five million, yeah, just give him for free. Just take him, yeah. But I think it's really like similar level players to Danny Rose that Newcastle are looking towards like buying or loaning. I've seen this morning, I've seen James Rodriguez linked with uh, Newcastle and Everton. I don't think that's impossible. I, do, I think it's a stretch. But I don't think it's impossible. I think it's certainly more likely than Pogba. So with this takeover now, every player in the top 50 Ballon d'Or has been linked with Newcastle at some point, ever since these takeover rumours uh, have occurred. So everybody's looking at the top 50. But the reality is, without a Champions League and without a good supporting cast, none of your top 50 are going to still be interested because they can get money and Champions League over at other clubs, you know, like whatever Newcastle offer, Paris can just better it. Um, where would you want to live for a year, Paris or Newcastle, you know? So, um, what they're really going to have to aim for is, I know this is very general, but probably, imagine if like the list of footballers went down to like 400, 500, they probably have to aim for like between 100 and 150 of like the best uh, footballers. Aim for that sort of bracket and then slowly work their way up. If there's a mercenary in the 50 to 100 bracket, of um, the world's best players, and there probably will be, you know, um, just to draw on some examples before, Robinho, he's kind of that player, chased the paycheck, Adebayo just went wherever money was, um, so did Tevez, things like that, so they have to aim for, you know, 100, 100 to 150, that calibre of player, and then once they start accumulating a lot of those, then they're going to start attracting the higher calibre players and then move their way up to the ladder, and then they can finally start being um, a realistic prospect for the top 50 players um, listed in the Ballon d'Or. And hopefully by that time, you'd, you know, you'd, I don't want to hope, but Newcastle fans would hope that they'd get Champions League. Um, and then that's another draw uh, for them. Do you think there's that trouble of Newcastle falling down the line of Everton? Um, do you think there's that issue that they'll sign these sort of 40, 40, um, these are sort of, when you think about it, they are sort of still following that Man City mould, but it's not as good as Man City, obviously, but that 40 million mould of a player that's still 
in the early stages but can be developed do you think there there's a scare that Newcastle they'll sign these players but then there won't be anyone to develop them or any um, progression if they don't get the correct staffing do you think that could be a scare for Newcastle fans as well it could be um I would say with Everton they had in my opinion one of the biggest fraud managers the Premier League's had in probably the last decade in Marco Silva who was very highly rated but I can't for the life of me work out how or why um and he made some poor signings um I don't think if Newcastle got the right man in I don't think they will do that and with Carlo Ancelotti I think Everton will be spending their money a bit more wisely now so I I, I think it's that more than anything is the case of why they spent a lot of money on very average players. No, I think Everton, like, they went through a lot of Barcelona academy players. So, like, they got Lucas Dinier, Adrian Gomez. So, I think maybe this could be a possible route for Newcastle to enter into. So, looking at other, like, squad players of, like, big clubs such as Barcelona, so you can find Lucas Dinier or an Angel Gomez. So, I think... That might be something that Newcastle would look into and try to re- replicate Everton's model to find these like Lucas Dinier because I think Lucas Dinier is a much better player than like the top eight side. So maybe maybe you go to a, a bigger side than Everton. Maybe maybe they'll target a lot of these. Uh, I can't think of a better word. Maybe just like top club rejects if you think about it, like players who like Andre Gomez um, or Dinier or. Um, if you remember James Rodriguez, Stoke, isn't it, to an extent, sorry. Yeah, James Rodriguez, to an extent. Do you remember Stoke uh, kept signing everybody who Barcelona didn't play? They bought Bojan, they bought Mark Muniesa, they bought... Um, Adar- no, Afele, Afele. They bought Ibrahim Afele. So, like, you know, they might just go around this route of just buying rejects from top clubs and be like, you know, hey, we've got some Barcelona players here, you know? Um, but then the Barcelona players like played what five times and <laughs> didn't score ever, you know. So it's going to take a while for them to get right. I mean, even with Man City, like you know, they have to go through the likes of Joe Elano, Benjani before they can get to Aguero. So it's going to be a tough couple of years anyway. And one final point on Newcastle: they have a big advantage in St James's Park. It's a huge stadium, and when that is full of Geordies. That can be really, really noisy. And if they can make that a fortress, that's a huge advantage already. Cool. So I think that wraps it up for the uh, podcast. Um, there you have it, audience. Um, it looks like Mbappe is coming to Newcastle. James Rodriguez, all of these players. Um, but yeah, comment, like, subscribe to the channel. Um, yeah, so thank you for listening. Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for listening, guys. Thanks, Joe, for coming on. Um, big up Hatem Benata, my favourite Newcastle player. Hope you enjoyed listening. Like if- Guys, thanks for having me on. Really enjoyed it. Um, thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs>